My name is Debbie Pylan. My husband, Doug, and I, we've been calling Generations our home now for around 25 years or so as a couple. Uh, Doug was a part of the church in its very beginnings, but that was before I knew him, and we've been coming about 25 years now. Um, you may recognize Doug. He's one of the ushers. He usually mans this south entrance over here. And you may have seen us up here as prayer partners at the end of service. Um, and we've been doing that for about the whole of the 25 years that we've been here. But enough about, uh, enough about us. So are y'all ready to hear what the Lord has to speak to you today? Well, I am really excited to share what the Lord has given me. Um, actually, weeks ago when I first started preparing for this message... I was going in a totally different direction. And I had even done a lot of research and compiled a lot of notes and was trying to compose a message, and it just wasn't coming together. And I felt the Lord redirecting me, recalculating me to move into this direction that he's having me speak to you about today. So I am certain that the Lord has something special to speak to each one of you today. In fact, I am confident that this is the word that he wanted you to hear. So, last week I've actually been praying for all of you. Do you know that God knew that you were going to be here today? And he knew that whoever is listening or watching online, that you would be tuned in this morning. And he has a word, I believe, to speak to you individually in your own life what you need to hear through this message. And I have prayed that this message would bless you and that it would be an encouragement to you and that it would be an inspiration to you. And that no matter how long that you've been serving the Lord, whether you've been serving the Lord for years or maybe you're a brand new Christian or maybe you're even on the sidelines not yet having made that commitment to him, that he would inspire you through something said this morning that would cause you to draw in a little bit closer to him. And not just for today, but in the days that follow, in the midst of your day, in your work or your activities, that he would interrupt you and that he would capture your attention and he would remind you of something he spoke to you today. And it would once again inspire you to draw nearer to him, a little bit closer, again and again and again. Amen. Is that okay that I prayed that for you? Okay. I want to shout out real quick to the AV team. They're going to be helping me with my slides, advancing my slides as I go. So I want to give them a big thank you for assisting me in that. And Pam, slide one. So this morning, the message I want to share with you is on the subject of worship. But first, I want to start by saying that I'm not a worship leader. I'm not that Debbie. That Debbie is Debbie Fink. And I'm not necessarily, yeah, give her a hand. And I'm not necessarily an authority on this subject, but... I am a student of worship, and as I've been studying, I've been discovering that the more I know, the more there is to learn. 
But that's how it is with the things of God. You never really get to that point where you can say that you've learned it all. Isn't that right? It's kind of like Mario Brothers. There's always something deeper. There's always treasures to be found. There's always mysteries to discover and higher levels to go. Do we have any gamers out there? Yep, yep. So you know what I mean. And if you've been coming to Generations for any length of time, you've probably heard a teaching on this subject, either from Debbie Fink or Pastor Albert, maybe Pastor Mel or Scott or maybe others. And I'm not here to cast any shadow on those teachings whatsoever, but rather to add to you perhaps maybe a facet that you may have already learned. Although I'm not called to lead others into worship, I am called as all of you are, to be worshipers of God. In fact, God has commanded us, saying, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And as a worshiper, I have been in his presence, in that holy place, that place above all others, that God most desires us to come and to enter in with him. And this holy place that we enter in true worship to God is the place that God most desires us to come and to enter in with him. This holy place in true worship to God is the highest level of intimacy that we can experience with God here on this earth. And it's no wonder that we see in the scriptures that Jesus went there often. And I have learned through my own experiences with worship that the more I pour out to God, the more he multiplies himself back to me. And I'm convinced that worship is where we receive from God the very nutrients that we must have to thrive in this life. And in my study, however, I have found that the Bible does not provide a positive definition of worship. There are many, many accounts of those that we read fell down in worship those who bowed in worship, they sang praises in worship, they sacrificed in worship, danced, played music, and many, many other expressions of worship. But nowhere is it positively defined. And since there's no positive definite definition, I thought it would be interesting and very beneficial for us to understand the origin and the meaning of the word worship. Because we often misuse or mix up the term worship with praise. And although praise can be and certainly is used in worship, the two are distinctly different. Next slide, please. The English word worship comes from the old English word weordsipe, which was later shortened to worship. It's concerned with worthiness, dignity, or merit of a person, or in the case of idolatry, a thing. And interestingly, in the English courts, it's still used today as a noun referring to his worship as a dignitary. Worship in the verb form means paying of homage, respect, and in the religious world, the term is used for reverent devotion, service, and honor paid to God, whether individually or corporately. And Webster lists these synonyms, adore, admire, dote, esteem, exalt, love, magnify, regard, revere, reverence, and venerate. 
It's the adoration, the veneration, the exaltation, and the magnification of God. It's when we respect, we esteem, love, adore, and even dote on God that we're worshiping him. And all these descriptive expressions point to his worthiness. Next slide, please. In the Old Testament, the one Hebrew word that's consistently used for worship of God is shakah. The King James translates this word as worship, but it's also translated as to bow down, to do reverence, to fall down, prostrate, stoop, crouch, and beseech humbly. And these expressions all relate to a physical posture. In the New Testament, the most commonly used word for worship in the Greek is proskuneo. Pros meaning toward, kineo meaning to kiss. So the two together mean to kiss toward. It seems the word proskuneo describes a much closer contact than the Old Testament word shakah. Because bowing and kneeling and prostrating can be done at a distance, but to kiss requires close contact. So it seems the Old Testament saints were invited to interact with God from a distance, but the New Testament saints are invited to get close through Christ Jesus. Paul, when writing to the church of Ephesus, said, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Near enough to embrace God, to love him, to intimately pour our adoration upon him, to touch him in deep, heartfelt worship with our will, our senses, and our emotions. Now, we've all heard the phrase, I'm sure, to remain in an attitude of worship, right? But worship is more than an attitude. It's an attitude that's expressed. And the intensity of the attitude determines the measure of its actions. For example... A lukewarm heart cannot perform boiling hot worship. Neither can a, a rebellious heart revere God with any depth of emotion or sincerity. N next slide, please. Now, I believe God purposely did not define worship to us in terms of methodology because he did not want us to be worshiping him out of legalistic ritual because worship is a heart matter. And therefore, it's inexplicable, it's inexpressible, and it's intangible. Worship, as a heart matter, means that my worship may be explained differently than yours. I may express it differently than you. And I may even look differently when I worship. Just as there's not one specific explanation, expression, or any tangibility to love, Neither is there one way to explain or express or any tangibility to worship. If worship were to have been encased in hard and fast rules, don't you know that we humans would ruin it? Because we would habitually and mechanically do it without any thought, purpose, or emotion. It would lose all its spontaneity and lose all its individual expression. Think about it this way. Suppose your spouse or your significant other were to present you with a, um, a gesture of love, not because it was expected, 
or because it was an appointed time. It was because in an unscripted moment, a heart so swelled with love was compelled to show an expression of that love. Now you being the recipient, had you dictated the how and the when and the what would be that expression, how meaningless would that be? Next slide, please. I think the closest definition that we see in the Bible comes from Jesus in Mark 12.30. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And this is the first commandment. Now, this engages every part of our being. But it's not the performance that makes the worship, but rather, it's the worship that motivates the performance. Amen. Next slide, please. One author said it like this. Worship is love responding to love. So it's not the bowing, the dancing, the clapping, the singing that produce the worship. For at best, they can only express that worship. But it is the worship that produces the jubilant responses. True worship may have its times of silence and sighing, as well as its times of singing and shouting. But the method of expression does not of itself determine the intensity of worship. It's by Judson Watts, uh, Cornwall out of his book, Let Us Worship. Worship is an interpersonal action between an individual and his God when in his divine presence. It's intangible, it's unseen, it's undefined, and without script. But when it's happening, the worshiper knows it, and so does God. Although the Bible may not define to us what worship is, but we are given instructions on how to enter that most holy place of intimacy with God. Next slide, please. In the Old Testament, we're given a picture of the tabernacle of God. It's described as having an outer court, an inner court, and the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies being where the Ark of the Covenant was housed and where the, God's presence would come down. And in those days, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies and we're told about all the rituals that he had to go through to purify himself and to sanctify himself so that he could enter into the presence of the Lord. But the congregation, all the rest of the people, would worship from afar, outside the gates. But after Jesus... God no longer comes down to dwell in a tabernacle made of human hands, but rather, by his spirit, he dwells within us. Next slide. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, a temple of God, and the Holy Spirit dwells within you? You remember Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman at the well? He said to her, the hour is coming, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And your key words here to hang on to are spirit and truth. Slide, next slide, please. Let's go to Psalm 100. I want to focus on verse 4. But let's read the whole thing. But first, I want to tell you about a 
little assembly of God that I used to go to back in the early, early 80s when I was first saved. And I learned there how to memorize a lot of scripture because we sang it, especially the Psalms. They were put to music, and part of our praise and worship was singing the Psalms. And so I had this thought that I could sing this one for you today. But thank God, it was just a thought. <laughs> My husband, I saw him over there, he goes, I've heard her sing. <laughs> Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. Let's pause just a minute. I've been retired now for about two years, but when I worked, the industry I worked in was oil and gas, which I'd been in for over 35 years. And I worked with a lot of engineers, design engineers, um, manufacturing engineers, mechanical engineers. Do we have any engineers in the house today? Well, no offense, I mean this with all due respect. <laughs> but guys, engineers are a very peculiar bunch. <laughs> but they are brilliant. I used to stand in awe of these designers, how they could conceive a thought, bring it to concept, design it, figure out how to manufacture it, and see it come to life as a finished product. But these designers used to drive me crazy because in my role, I managed order management and production control. And they used to drive me crazy because they were forever delaying and causing me to stop my processes because they always wanted to know when a customer ordered one of their designs or they would delay the production lines because they wanted to stop at every stage of production so they could come out and inspect their product to make sure it was being built as designed. And then once it was finished and went out to the customer, they would often go out to the job sites so that they could observe the customers operating the product because they had designed parameters by which to operate these products. And if the customer went outside of these design parameters, it could shorten the life cycle of that product, or that product could malfunction, or it could even break that product. And these designers were very protective over their designs, and certainly if it was a brand new design going out and being launched into the market for the first time, they didn't want to run the risk of any product failures and any bad publicity. So they were very carefully watching everything that happened with these designs. And I used to joke with them that they treated these designs like their babies. They were their children, and they watched over them better than they did their own children, right? They had a very protective eye over them and constantly watched them throughout the whole life cycle of that product. And that made me think about God, who being the ultimate design engineer, conceived the idea of creating man in his own image and how he designed us to the most finite molecular detail. 
and how he breathed life into us and how he has a plan for each one of our lives and how he carefully watches over us to make sure that we stay within his design parameters for our life. And the difference between us and these mechanical designs is that God gave us a free will that we could choose, is this me? Sorry. That we could choose to either stay within his design parameters or we could choose to step outside of those parameters. And if we do, we run the risk of shortening our life cycles, of encountering malfunction, or even becoming broken. But even still, God, with his ever-ending, never-ending love, parental, watchful eye, always watching over his babies, his children, to make sure that even if we step outside of those parameters, that he's always close by in a time of need, there to help when we cry out. Isn't that good? Isn't that good? Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is good. He is God. It is he who made us. We are his. We were the concept of his idea from within his mind and that he brought us to life. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Verse 4 being our focus scripture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. And we enter his courts with praise. We give thanks to him. And we bless his name. Why? Because the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Next slide, please. So with thanksgiving, we enter into his gates and into his courts with praise. And with our praise, we go into his presence, the holy of holies. And in his presence, we worship. Psalm 22:3 says, But you, speaking of God, are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Another translation says you inhabit the praises of your people. As children of God, we're invited to enter his gates, and we do so with a thankful and a grateful heart. And it may seem for some, though, that these first steps of thanksgiving are the hardest to take, yet they are the most critical in moving us toward God. But once we do take those steps, praise comes so easily after that. We all have reasons to be thankful but maybe sometimes, sometimes we might just lose sight of those reasons. There are times when we're walking through difficulty or experiencing some tragic situations in our life. There may be times we get overwhelmed with devastating circumstances or when we're suffering illness or some kind of pain. Or maybe it's just the pressures of life that sometimes make it just hard to breathe. Or maybe it's loss we're dealing with. Maybe we're grieving a loved one. Or a loss of a job. Or some financial problem. And at these moments, we may feel like we don't have much to be thankful for. 
And I know everyone here can relate because we've all been through situations and circumstances that were tragic or devastating or where we've suffered great loss. But let us be reminded this morning that we can still be thankful because although we do go through these things, and we will go through these things, that we don't go through them alone. For God is always with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. Next slide, please. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He's always ready to help in a time of trouble. But if we're not aware of his presence when we're going through something, and maybe we're feeling all alone, maybe it's because we've not invited him in. Or maybe we've magnified that thing so big in our eyes that we've made it bigger than our God. If that's you this morning, invite him in. Give him the lead to your situation and let him show you the way out. Because his way is the way to the best positive outcome. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very familiar scripture for everyone here, but it's one I run to often. For it says, I know the thoughts and the plans that I have for you, says the Lord. Thoughts and plans for welfare and peace and not for evil. To give you hope. Hope in your final outcome. Maybe we find it hard to fully understand the concept of having a Savior that died for us so that we wouldn't have to remain separated for God, from God for eternity. Maybe we can't fully wrap our head around the, that kind of love enough to be thankful for it alone. Because if he never did another thing for us, that in itself is enough. And we don't have to feel condemned if we don't fully grasp it, because he'll help us. He's patient, and he's kind, and he's full of tender mercies, and he's long-suffering toward us. He'll help us understand it because he loves us that much and because it's important. It's vitally important for us to understand what he has saved us from and what he has made available for us. And once we grasp it, thankfulness will surely come. And with it, a grateful heart will begin to grow. And when it does, our relationship with Jesus will take on a whole new definition. So it's critical that we have and we maintain a thankful and a grateful heart. Because a heart that is unthankful and a heart that's ungrateful is a hard, hard heart. And a hard heart cannot receive what it desperately needs from God to thrive in this life. Think about a hard, crusty, dried-up piece of ground, like this one. You pour water on it, and it just runs off. It can't receive the very thing that it desperately needs. Without water, there's no life in it. But sometimes, we praise our way right up to the Holy of Holies, but we never enter into worship. Maybe we don't enter in because we're overwhelmed in the presence of a holy God. Next slide. 
Isaiah felt this way. When he was caught up in God's presence, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of filthy lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with filthy lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Maybe like Isaiah, we tremble and we feel out of control in his presence. Maybe we're confused and we don't know what to say. Or maybe we can't enter in because our heart condemns us. In the presence of holiness, if there's anything in our life that's out of order, it's made apparent. And that thing in our life that's out of order, it doesn't have to be sin, but if it is, next slide. John 1, 8, 9 tells us how to fix it. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Friends, we absolutely cannot allow anything to keep us from the presence of God, especially, especially in these days that we're living in. And it's okay if you feel overwhelmed, and it's okay to feel out of control, and it's okay to not know what to say while in his presence. Just stay there. Be quiet in his presence. And being quiet is a good thing because oftentimes it's he that has something to say to us. So enter in and keep your heart and your mind stayed on him. And be quiet. Listen for his voice. Sometimes there are just no words that can be spoken. In those moments, it's his spirit connecting with our spirit. And the only utterances are those that the Holy Spirit gives. The Bible says that we don't often know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit help, helps us by, by uh, praying in heavenly language. In the same way, we don't always know how to worship as we ought. And the Holy Spirit also helps us with that. He is our teacher. And if you've never been a worshiper, or it's been awkward for you, then yield to the Holy Spirit and let him help you. You see, understanding is best gained through experience. And once you've experienced true worship, you'll understand it. I want to share a story with you that happened to me about a year ago. To use King David's words, my soul was greatly cast down. And I was in desperate need of God's presence. But when you're cast down, when you feel like darkness is swallowing you up, you don't always see things clearly. You don't see things as you ought. And you can become blinded. And the devil loves it when you're in a situation like this. I had been going through a serious health problem that carried with it an unbelievable amount of pain. And being on pain meds for any length of time can magnify and add to this kind of disorientation that I was in. About six months prior, I had had what was to be a, a very simple, very quick surgery uh, with little to no 
uh, downtime, real quick recovery. I had had a, a broken ankle a few years prior where I'd had a plate and screws put in my ankle. And I guess through the healing process, some nerves on either side of my ankle had become compressed. And this surgery was real simple. Going to release those nerves, kind of like when you have carpal tunnel surgery on your wrist, only this was on my ankle. And something went wrong, and I ended up with permanent nerve damage that affected my calf down through my foot. And I was told by my doctors that my only options were to continue on some very, very high doses of nerve meds, the kind that treat neuropathy or this kind of severe nerve damage, along with pain meds, or I could have a device permanently implanted that would emit electrical impulses along my spinal cord that would interrupt the pain, the pain signals going to my brain. Well, neither one of these options did I have any peace at all. And so I made this declaration that I was going to stand in faith and trust God for my healing and not go either of those routes. So I even stopped the medication. And then that pain raged beyond what I could bear. And to make a very long story short, I had that device implanted. And soon after the implant, while I was still going through the healing from that surgery, and the, they were honing in the programming of this device, I started feeling these electrical sensations, shocks coming from this device from within me, and it scared me. And with that fear, I sank deeper and deeper into this darkness. I felt I had made a terrible, irreversible mistake in the decision I had made to have this device, and what was, what was even worse, far worse than that, is I felt I had greatly, greatly disappointed God because I made this declaration of faith, and I caved. And that wasn't coming from God. God wasn't convicting me. That was purely me. And, of course, the devil was right there to condemn me. But he didn't have to do much because I was doing all the condemning myself. And before I knew it, I found myself in this deepest, darkest, depressed state of mind. I mean, I have been through some seriously tragic and devastating situations over the course of my life, and nothing has ever put me in this depth of depression, ever. I kept saying, Lord, I don't know how I got here. It felt like I was trapped, literally, and I couldn't find my way out. And after weeks and weeks of this, I felt the Lord nudge me to get up and get dressed and get outside and go for a walk. So I did. I got up. And on the way out the door, I grabbed my earbuds. And as I walked down the streets of my neighborhood, I would listen to praise and worship music. And day after day, I did this. Until one day as I was walking and listening, the music and the lyrics began to resonate with me. And I re began to remember all the goodness that God had shown to me. 
not what I'd read on pages of the Bible, but what I personally experienced from God. And as I reminisced, I began to be very thankful. My heart began to swell with thanksgiving, and I began to voice this to him out loud on the streets of my neighborhood. And as I thanked him, I felt like I walked through his gates. And with my thanksgiving, it led me to praise him out loud on the streets of my neighborhood. If people saw me, they must have thought I was some senile old woman. And I began to remember his loving kindness to me, his patience, his tender touch on my life. I remembered the intimate moments that I shared in his presence, the times he was truly a father to me because I grew up without one. Times he lifted my head out of discouragement. The times when I heard his tender, so kind voice in the middle of the night. The times when his love for me endured, even when I had turned my back on him and ignored his call. Went my own way and did my own thing. And yes, even when I made a declaration that I couldn't keep. In that moment, in that moment, I felt his love wrap around my pitiful little self. And I entered into that holy place of worship. Next slide, please. And it was literally, this is the best picture I can find, but it's nowhere close. It was literally like a portal opened up over me. I could see the darkness beginning to clear over my head. I saw this. I don't know if it was a vision. I don't know if the Lord opened my eyes in the spirit realm. I don't know. But I saw a clearing over me. And he pulled me out of that place. And he was with me all along. Don't misunderstand. He never left me. I just couldn't see. For that period of time, I just couldn't see. David said it like this. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in darkness, you're there. My brokenness and my self-condemnation had blinded me. But by his spirit, he led me out. And that day, I experienced a new dimension in worship. Now, this story, obviously, was about individual, a personal private time of worship my personal private time of worship. But I hope it painted a picture of the true essence of worship and how vitally important it is for us to make this intimate connection with God every day, every day. It's his love 
responding to our love and our love responding to him in these times of worship. It's the connection that we make with him. He is our sustenance, sustenance, and he is the very air that we breathe. But our relationship with God is not just about what we need or what he has for us. It's about what we can give to him. And when you get right down to it, all we really have to offer him is our worship. And then there is corporate worship when we all come together. And this one last story before I close will help to illustrate that. Here a few months ago, Doug and I were attending a conference. And the sanctuary in this place was a pretty large sanctuary. And there was a really big altar area. The, the clearing between the platform and where the chairs the seating began was, was really wide. And, there, and during the praise and worship time, this altar area was completely filled with people dancing and singing. There were all kinds of, of expressions of worship. In fact, there were almost more people in this area than there was room for. And they were dancing and singing. Some were bowing, some laying on the floor prostrate, some dancing and twirling with flags. Others jumping, kneeling, and then there were some that were just quietly standing in reverence with their hands lifted high. None of them to make a spectacle of themselves, but hearts that were genuinely swelled with love for God, so much so that they were compelled to show it. And there were all different races and all different nationalities there. Literally, people had flown in from all different countries to attend this, this conference. There were old people and young people and every age in between. And there were even little kids out there. And they were genuinely worshiping. And there was this one little old man who must have been maybe in his early 70s. I don't know, maybe, maybe older. And he was out there dancing. And he looked like to me a true portrait of someone who was worshiping with all of his soul, with all of his heart with all of his mind and all of his strength but his dance looked a lot like disco to me <laughs> you know from the late 70s back in that era and if he was out there in those clubs back in that disco era I imagined all the girls in the place were standing in line to dance with him because he was putting on some mighty fine moves <laughs> but now he was dancing for Jesus and as we observed, almost the whole of the congregation out there without any intimidation, freely worshiping with different expressions, the Lord spoke to Doug. And I'm paraphrasing, but he said something like this. Think it not strange to see each one expressing their worship to me in this way. For this is what it looks like in heaven. You know, friends, in heaven, there is worship going on constantly. And there is no one too shy to worship. There's no intimidation. There's no one lacking joy to express it. There's no one too fearful, no one too afraid, and no one too paralyzed thinking someone's going to judge them. Isn't this a beautiful picture 
a freedom of expression and worship to our God. And lastly, I'm compelled to mention just a couple of points about our corporate time of worship and what it is not. When the service starts at the designated time and the music and the singing begins, worship is not the musical interlude while we wait for everyone to arrive and take their seats. It is not the introduction time while we mingle and grab our coffees. The designated time for this is prior to service beginning. In fact, we're even building and remodeling a brand new cafe for that. And this is not the entertainment portion of the service. Okay. It seems sometime we have become so relaxed with God. Not speaking of generations, mind you. I'm talking about the church as a whole, globally, in general. It seems we may have become so relaxed with God at times that we oftentimes teeter on the side of dishonor rather than honor to God. And friends, this just ought not to be. Praise and worship to God is holy. It's a holy time. And we must always be mindful of that. And lastly, I leave you with one final thought. Last slide, please. And this is my final, final thought. Okay. If we cannot find the freedom to worship our God, whether individually or corporately, in spirit and in truth, while we're here on this earth, what makes us think that we'll be able to join in the worship in heaven? Will you bow your heads with me and pray? Father, I thank you. I thank you for the word you've given us today. To some, maybe this was a new thing. To some, maybe it was a confirmation. To some, maybe a revelation. To some, maybe it was a deliverance. A chain broken, freedom came. Lord, I know this to be true because this is how you work. This is what you do. You are an amazing God. And you are a good, good. Your love is unending. And your tender mercies, they never cease. You are just, you are righteous, and you are faithful and true. You are almighty, all-powerful, and majestic in all of your ways. You are our Lord and our King. And I thank you for being with us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you and keep you as you leave here today. And if you have any need of prayer at all, if anything that was said maybe that resonated with you and you would like somebody to pray with you about it, our prayer partners will be up here front at the altar. Feel free to come on up. We'll be more than happy to pray with you. Pastor?